The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today, we're lucky enough to have with us Brian Carr, the CEO of Rue Life Group, ASX Code RLG. Brian, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Oriel. A pleasure to join you and speak with you. Tell us a little bit about your journey, Brian, how you ended up as CEO and MD of Rue Life Group. Sure. Um, I ended up spending about 10 years working in China in the sort of um, early 2000s in the uh, stages where um, e-commerce and mobile payments were just really kicking off. So early days in a very fast-growing, fast-evolving, exciting um, you know, ecosystem where I was exposed to the opportunity of seeing lots and lots of Chinese consumers looking for products from outside China and always meeting businesses from all around the world, everyone captivated about how do they sell into China. So being on the ground there and seeing it firsthand um, was the really the start of my experience of, of transacting in China. Um, and then I found when I came back to Australia, um, everyone I met with still had that same intrigue and desire to, to get into the Chinese market. So that was the, the evolution of um, Real Life Group, so RLG. So now we take global brands into the Chinese market. What what was it aside from your your interest in the China market itself? Um, what was it about your history and and your your I suppose your area of expertise and interests that that drove you to do this? Well, um, well, interesting enough, I ended up um, in China for the uh, Beijing Olympic Games, where we were providing a mobile um, app and content to help travelers and visitors uh, you know find their way around China, book taxis, a bit like what uh, uh, Uber does now. So making it easier for, you know, if you don't speak the language, you can't read the street signs, how do you describe where you are? So it was very early days, um, 2008, to actually deliver an Uber app. But what that gave us exposure to was we needed uh, SIM cards, started to work with China Mobile, started to work with the billing components of being able for purchases to be charged to someone's um, mobile phone account. And then we evolved into working with WeChat and Alipay. So now the two biggest... Um, you know, mobile wallets you can find in the world. So that sort of then having the ability to transact with people directly online on their mobile phone was the real key ingredient of then saying, okay, now people can transact directly with consumers in China and getting exposure to Alibaba's, Tmall, Taobao marketplaces. So those are the, the, the places where Chinese shoppers are shopping online. So that was, it's an interesting path, but that, that's sort of the background of uh, how I ended up where I am. You know, it's, it's pretty clear, Brian, when you look at the figures, why China is such a good target for you. I mean, it's got a, what is it now, $2.2 trillion in terms of the value of its online marketplace, something like that, used by over 900 million consumers. Um, so that sort of makes a very good business case uh, for what you're doing. On the other side of the coin, it's not always easy to do business in China. I mean, there are language differences, cultural differences, and so forth. 
Uh, how do you overcome that? I mean, you've had such extensive experience in the region. So what, what's that taught you? Uh, I think a key aspect of, of what we do and how we do it well is that on in China, we are a China China facing company. So we have a, a, a very good team on the ground there in China. Um, the fact that people are unable to travel now has made that even more important. So the trust that we bring as a Western li uh, listed company with expertise both here uh, in the West and importantly on the ground in China is part of that key ingredient. We have um, a, a team of people that have um, vast experience in the e-commerce space um, that, you know, they've grown up using e-commerce. Um, the way that we market and present and position products from our experience is one of those key benefits that we deliver. So uh, I think it's that, that perfect mix of having Western understanding for, for brands that we're engaging with and that trust us to be their representative in China, but then having the, the right people on the ground in China to deliver those solutions. Mm. Let's talk about COVID, um, Brian. Now, you, you had your revenue numbers out earlier this year. Um, I have to say, and I looked through those numbers, they were outstanding. You had a, a massive jump from the quarter before. I think it was something like 145% increase. Is this or how much of this can you uh, say, you know, it's literally the COVID impact with people shopping more and more online? I, I think it's, it's a very strong impact of, of COVID from a number of different ways. Um, raising the awareness from everyone about how to shop online. Um, COVID has actually introduced online e-commerce to uh, everyone around the world. Um, even the elderly in China, who were probably the only people that weren't shopping online, are now the silver shoppers. So they're the ones that have now, it's, it's a new market that's been uh, created out of COVID. There's a much greater awareness now for health, well-being, um, and, and products um, designed for around improving people's health. Um, that's been driving it as another market segment that we're seeing really good, strong growth in. But also importantly from brands and suppliers, um, there probably wasn't a business that didn't see an impact in their domestic market. So most um, brands and companies and suppliers selling products into their own domestic market saw a downturn during COVID they also then saw China was recovering faster than anywhere else. So the exposure to online shopping into a growth market, selling products that are in high demand was almost like the, the perfect for, you know, set of circumstances for us as a business. Is this sort of you know, part of the reason why your revenue mix is, is changing in terms of the dollars that are coming in from marketing and the dollars that are coming in from commissions? Yeah, so it's evolving. We're, we're finding that we've, we've got a number of brands that are now um, sort of at a different level of maturity. So no different to anywhere. If you introduce a brand new product into a brand new market, your initial phases are just building out brand awareness, working out your positioning, working out your pricing, building out your client base. Over a sort of uh, six to 12 month period, those products, brands become greater awareness in the marketplace and you start to grow out the sales. And we've got a number of brands that are actually hitting that, that point right now. And so the cumulative effect of those is seeing out the growth, both in the, the service revenues we get, but most importantly, into that really highly scalable element of product sales. So, so when we were talking about your um, jump in, in revenue from the quarter before, um, can you double this again? I mean, what's your sort of forecast for the quarter that we're in currently? 
Oh, we're in some pretty strong growth. I mean, we've taken in the last three quarters, I think we, our revenue numbers went from 940 to 1.35 to 3.4. So there's very, very strong um, growth achievements. Um, you know, to, to achieve that sort of growth uh, quarter on quarter is, is quite extraordinary. So I think that, you know, we won't be able to deliver that uh, this quarter, but we're still expecting a very strong quarter with positive cash flow. And I think that's an important aspect as well. So we are still expecting to achieve another record revenue uh, with positive cash flow for the quarter. What does that look like in two to three years' time? I mean, uh, what are your expansion plans? Because, of course, you know, China is the market uh, uh, that you're in now, but, uh, you know, there are many other places that that, that you can look to. Yeah, we're, we're finding that um, the systems and the awareness of products and brands and our success in selling them um, certainly opens up other markets for us. Um, the ability for us to sell those products and once we've achieved really good um, uh, access into the market in China, which can be one of the most challenging in the world, we think really positions us for strong growth elsewhere uh, um, uh, in the world. As I said, we've been, we very quickly um, developed during the COVID period to becoming an international supplier. So we've now got clients from New Zealand, uh, North America, South America, uh, Europe, the UK. So they're, they're the types of brands that we're representing internationally, but we do see further opportunities to take those brands into other markets as well. Where, where will be next, do you believe? Um, well, we're certainly already starting to sell through Southeast Asia. So I think that's where, A, we will continue um, China as our beachhead and we'll start to branch out into other uh, Asian um, uh, markets. We're already selling some products into Singapore. We see Malaysia, Vietnam. Um, as certainly other markets that we're looking at. Now, you've said before um, that you act as an online gate into China. Um, let me ask you about the geopolitical risks of doing business there, because I'm sure these are the type of questions that, that you feel from suppliers as well. Um, there is always geopolitical risk um, in going into a country like China. That seems to ebb and flow you know, depending on what's happening around the world, but it's not insignificant at the moment as where we are right now. Um, so how do you deal with geopolitical risks and what is it that you tell to your partners and suppliers? Um, it's certainly a question that comes up um, often, so you, you're correct there. Um, we have seen no adverse effect. In fact, we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing really strong demand from Chinese consumers for international products. We're very diverse in both the products that we offer, offer and the jurisdictions that we um, provide those products out of. So we're seeing that um, whilst there may be um, some negative headlines, you might read about the Australia-China relationship. The reality is China is importing more and more products now. You know, the growth year on year, month on month is, is significant. Um, there are still very strong, uh, there's very strong demand and Australian products are still held in high regard in China. Um, but from a from a business exposure perspective, um, we would you know we'd, you'd have to see China not import anything from anywhere in the world to actually ultimately impact on our business, and we don't see that as being a, a realistic outcome. And I think I, even if I look at one of them, um, Stockhead's own reports, they're sort of saying, what does the list of the best performing ASX ETFs have in common? They all have exposure to China, so. The, the numbers and the reality are telling us that uh, China is still a very strong performing and strongly growing uh, market. Mm. Um, Brian, tell us a little bit about um, technology um, because you're essentially... 
Really, as part of your business, you're identifying consumer trends, you're identifying sources in the Chinese market using your own technology. How do you access this this kind of data? How does the technology work? Uh, very, very importantly, um, we connect directly into all our online platforms in China. So we've got real time um, awareness and, and visibility of exactly what's selling, what's in high demand, what what um, um, campaigns and programs are working really well. Importantly, also gives us access to see what else are people looking for in the market. So we can become um, demand driven as much as, as as brand driven as well. So one aspect of as of um, our business is taking new brands into market, but we can also be responsive and uh, reactive in real time as to what products and um, brands are people searching for online, what products are finding their way into China through through whatever channels, and we can formalize that that process. And I think that's one of the real other opportunities that's opened up for us over as an impact on on of COVID, is that there was a phenomenon um, with Daigo shopping, so people buying on behalf of others and sending it back to China, very much driven around uh, a lot of students are doing, a lot of tourists, and obviously with that travel not happening. Um, the demand is still there. So the formal ways that we're actually then selling those products um, cross-border online is also playing to our strengths as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Brian, I've got a question for you on, on cryptocurrencies or, uh, you know, really on, not in general, but on the central bank's digital currency, the EU How is mm. that going to impact on your business, on what you're doing in China? I would uh, see it just as having another another payment method for us. So um, the positivity of, of having a, a shopping base that's already well entrenched and, and um, uh, very comfortable using online currencies, um, this is just purely another way that we can transact. So, um, yeah, it can only, only be helpful to our business, which we're very happy to see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, crypto, are the cryptos the same for you? I mean, obviously, that's a different in the Chinese market that it could be elsewhere in the world, um, the use of those cryptocurrencies. But, uh, you know, how will that help your business going forward? Um, yeah, any the, the greater ability that people and the more choices that people have to transact online, um, obviously, the, the, the greater propensity to spend and, and, and for them to buy products online. So that, that all works for us. We always keep a, a watching brief of, of you know, what um, uh, systems are, are being predominantly used. And for us, it's just a, another payment method at the, at the end of the transaction. So we're very happy to embrace and see um, the alternatives. Okay. Um, Brian, just a couple of uh, quick questions. You raised uh, close to $6 million in placements. Um, you've got a significant amount of that um, still left on your balance sheet. What are you planning on doing with those funds? Um, very clearly, we want to continue to grow out what we're doing. Um, we see so many different opportunities and having a formula that we now, um, we probably as a business, we're two and a half years into um, the structure of business. We've got uh, 10 significant brands that we've, we've brought online. So we're now starting to see almost a formulaic um, uh, application of that capital and what it can turn into for us as a business. So we will continue to grow out and grow very strongly um, over the next 12 months. It's, that's very much our plan is to apply that that capital um, in the defined way to achieve the, the sales outcomes that we're seeking. Mm. Now, now you, you talked about uh, very early on in our conversation, your partnerships in China and obviously your deal that you did last year with Alipay is quite a significant one for, for your business. How's this partnership going? Um, what's coming up next in terms of partnerships or JVs in the region? 
Yeah, working with um, Alipay and Alibaba is um, you know, is one of the biggest partners that you can find. Um, such a, a well-established um, um, business that has, has reached out globally now, that partnership and to be uh, an international marketing partner, an official international marketing partner with uh, with Alipay is a very, very strong, um, uh, I guess, uh, recommendation for our services. Um, you know, to, we're also just as a further extension of that, working with Alibaba and and um, being endorsed by one of our US-based clients as a as a, an example of what can be achieved in China, um, and having that uh, an article released in Forbes magazine. I think that strongly endorses us both from our relationship with um, a partner like Alibaba, uh, but also importantly with our clients. So we find that those opportunities and that endorsement are really key for us when global companies are looking to who do they trust to go into China and I think it's you're judged by the company you keep um, so that partnership with Alibaba is very very important we continue to look at all opportunities in China and I said having a team on the ground there gives us that exposure and ability to be exploring those opportunities even while we can't while we're not able to travel right now so um, yeah watch this space there's there's plenty going on there Fantastic. Well, we'll love to catch up with you again in six months or so, Brian, and, and see how you're doing and, and where you are. Uh, really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Ariel. Pleasure to speak with you today. Brian Carr with us there. And uh, of course, thanks also to all of our supporters, our listeners today. You are listening to Stock Insiders with me, Ariel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.